Okay, so hello and welcome to this, the fifth episode now in our new series of the Hidden Power podcast, Is God the Biosphere? And that's with me, Philip Tottenham, and with the brains behind the operation, the one-handed brains, Ed Straw. <laughs> hello. Hello. And I, I, I can see Ed on the other side of my Zencaster with a sling still around his shoulder. How's that feeling now, Ed? Uh, it's improving. So you wake up and, oh, this is much better. And then you overuse it and then it gets much worse. Mm. <laughs> you think, oh, that was silly. Like you, I think I find it very hard to sit still. <laughs> and, um, I think convalescence is the hardest bit. I mean, it's annoying being sick and or, or being injured in, in any way, but convalescence yeah. is... Yeah. Clearly a message from, from your system. A message from the system. Maybe I need to develop some superstitions around the sling. Funny, um, the, funny you uh, should mention that because that's exactly what we're talking about this week. Superstition and the B-side of superstition, which is naivety. And what brought this to my attention when I was young, I was traveling in India, as people do. And I was sitting in the temple in a town called Madurai. And people kept approaching me to do palm reading. And I was couldn't have been less interested in palm reading but this guy who was quite funny sort of prevailed upon me and told me this completely ridiculous stuff he was saying yes i think you're going to live till you're very old man you're going to be extremely healthy all of your life you're going to have a lot of children and they're going to love you and that you're going to have an extremely rich wife and you're always going to be happy and um, i said well thanks very much that's great and i was kind of laughing about it but what was Curious to me was that although this was obviously a complete fabrication, I felt yeah. great about that, not just that day, but for days afterwards, I had this oddly transformed impression of myself. Mm. And I couldn't really get it out of my mind. I became quite focused on it. But it brought to my attention a couple of things. One, that perhaps there's a level of our consciousness which is much more gullible and receptive than our conscious mind. Mm. Secondly, that we are all naive. And so with regards to whether God is the biosphere, maybe we can look at superstition and think about, well, how would that empower us? And how would that help us in our mission to create yeah. a viable habitat for us on Earth? Absolutely. And I mean, there is also research that says, well, simply by believing in something, actually, you do feel better. Mm. So, for example, people that take uh, lucky charms into exams mm. or uh, uh, touch something or other before they go on to a sporting contest. Well, performers there, classically have rituals. Like there, is, there is evidence that, that actually they do perform better. Mm. And the power of the mind to heal, mm. the power of the mind to put us in a better place, fairly obviously, without any rational explanation, mm. uh, is, 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 well, pretty powerful. Well, it's established. So before we go on, let's um, have, I think we, one superstition that we are very happy to maintain is our belief in our listeners. Um, not just that they exist, but also that they have something interesting to contribute. And I think you have a uh, an email that was quite entertaining. Yeah. Well, this is from James, who says, Dear Ed and Philip, it was good to discover that you and Philip were back. I listened to the first three episodes while driving from 
HTGV to our apartment in France, where I spied a bishop sitting by the pool, a bishop that he knows. I put to him the idea that we needed to repurpose the Church of England, in other words, around God and the biosphere. The Church of England has the venues, the music, the positional power. What are you waiting for? Unfortunately, he was not persuaded. I will try again today. (laughs) May the power be with you. Poor old Bishop Um, on his holiday getting accosted. Maybe maybe once he's rested, he'll feel differently. Yeah, but I mean, there's an important point there because, as we've said before, organized religions are very, very powerful means of social organization. They have immense reach. And if we could engage organized religions in considering the ideas that we're putting forward and maybe even adopting and enacting them, I think that would be very powerful. Mm. It's interesting. There's a good friend of mine who's a very talented yoga instructor, Adrian O'Connor, put it to me that uh, we'd been talking about rituals, the body and the biosphere, and we'd not once mentioned yoga. And I can only say to you that we must cross the river by feeling the stones. And you're right, given that we have this recurring theme, which is the discrepancy between what we think we know and what actually is. Yoga, in terms of one's experience of the body, is, in certainly in my experience, a great way of aligning those two things. Closing the gap between what you think you are and what you actually are in the process of doing yoga is quite an interesting way of aligning belief. Yeah. Someone asked, well, who is we? Not everyone does yoga or appreciates its benefits. And we are talking about, I guess, our demographic, but we are trying to ensure, so far as we can, that we are also expanding the reach of these podcasts to people who, well, for example, don't know yoga, Mm. but also recognize what we said earlier on, which is by and large, one's expenditure is proportional to one's pollution footprint. And if you're poor and you don't have the time for yoga and indeed you're just trying to survive, then all of this will probably fall on deaf ears. But it's not that we don't understand or appreciate people in those circumstances and acknowledge that actually how much they can do is very, very limited. But we are trying to reach out both you and I are people who live, we live in a first world country, we're not yeah. starving by any stretch. And quite often when we talk about the rich, or when we were talking about the constituency of the rich, there may have been this impression of a, a sort of them and us. But really, I think almost anyone listening to this podcast is probably on the richer side of the demographic scale. And I think the idea that anyone is demonized is a complete misunderstanding or falsehood because, you know, we're all in this situation of being in this system, polluting and stuck in it. What are we talking about when we talk about superstition? So I suppose there are basic ideas of superstition, things like not walking under a ladder, sign of bad luck. If, If you're the kind of person that walks under a ladder, you're the kind of person that exposes themselves to risk without thinking about it. So maybe there's a sensible part of that, but black cats crossing your path, the zodiac, ghosts, these are all things that ultimately are not testable as a part of our shared reality. Uh 
I started to accumulate a list of superstitions that I felt were maybe questionable um, that are held normally in, in daily life. So the most obvious ones are, you know, a lot of people in modern agnostic atheistic society are critical of religion. And it's quite nice to have fairy stories, but it becomes a bit obnoxious when, when those creeds are, are rammed down your throat and insisted upon. So there are different levels there. Also, the superstition about heaven. We've talked about believing that everything will be okay in the end. So as a practical basis for equanimity, fair enough, as a sort of an idea that you might go to hell and being beaten with a stick, maybe that's less reasonable. Another one, actually, this comes from Karen Armstrong, who is researching into the roots of fundamentalism. And one thing that fundamentalists, whether they are Christian or Jewish or Islamist, have in common is narrow textual interpretation. So it's very much kind of, you know, pinned to the literal word of what's in the text, rather than taking an ironic view. And I sort of struck me, and as I was thinking about this, that that also has the character of a superstition, the superstition that the word is so vital and, and is supreme to the spirit of, well, for example, goodwill, kindness, and all the things that we aspire to. Yeah. The next one, so this is a big one in a way, because much as I query religion, I also feel that science is a huge superstition in our world. And for most people, what they think is science is essentially hearsay. Very few people have actually conducted the experiments themselves or lived the Yeah, experience. we take them on trust, don't we? There's a faith in science. Yeah. Exactly. And there's this association in America called the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And, yeah. which is obviously well-intentioned and has a, a strong basis. But uh, I think it was in the context of that association, there was a scrutiny of peer-reviewed articles. So this is the basis of scientific progress, that there are peer-reviewed yeah. articles, people that understand this stuff, read the article and say, oh, yes, this is good. And yeah. it turns out that only 10% of peer-reviewed articles stood up to experimental scrutiny. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's interesting that there's a lot of attention, quite rightly, to the menopause at present. And one of the things that got in the way of women taking up HRT was a piece of research, I mean, a decade ago anyway, which associated it with increased risk of cancer. That study has now been found to be flawed, but the impact of it was enormous. I wish I'd written down who it was that said this, but... It was a, I think it was a physicist. He said, the world is not subjectively real until you make an observation. To me, it seems like you, there's more science in learning to cook well and play with different ingredients than there is in, obviously, in reading science books and, and learning off things that are ultimately yeah. separate to you. I mean, science, you know, incredibly important and done all sorts of wonders and absolutely brilliant. But uh, when it becomes and, and has explained a lot about religion and, and if you uh, organize religions and has been the antidote, the overpowering nature of organized religions. But then on the other hand, here we have science becoming superstition. Mm. And to see it in black and white terms that, you know, there is science, there is religion, there is superstition is not right. I mean, I guess it's at the same point on the systems thinking world to 
think about our thinking mm. um, and exactly. are we blindly accepting things well don't blindly accept anything as my experience of the world i suppose what we're weighing up here is to what extent is, is your superstition useful to you um yeah you know that's that's a question that's worth kind of holding for a while yeah and can we harness superstition in uh pursuit of the bias here and can we recognize it in the pursuit of science for example we need these rubrics to help us through life we need to do a certain amount on hearsay otherwise you know you're completely reinventing the wheel yeah it's interesting whether we could build and develop some new superstitions that are actually effective and useful and an important point about superstition is to be clear I suppose, about how little we know. So, you know, going back to that point we were just making there, that we need these heuristics on the one hand. and Heuristics being sort of uh, rules of thumb, as it were, simplified ways. Simplified ways of dealing with reality, that we're not constantly reinventing the wheel and so on. Yeah. And on the other hand, to hold in parallel with that, we don't really have knowledge over many things. Yeah. But... People have knowledge over specific things, and then that taps into the systems thinking part of things. That's where the the dialogue and the deliberation would play a part. And the feedback as you go along. So, oh, we, we're not quite going where we thought we were going, so now we need to make a course correction, you know, the sailing analogy. Yes. And, you know, I, I wrote down, you know, we don't want fairy tales. And that's sort of true. Yeah. We don't want fairy tales. But at the same time we probably need to just make do with fairy tales for a lot of things, but hopefully have the openness to get closer to a reality, to a shared reality as we go forward. Yeah, I guess where I come to on that one is that there are good and bad fairy tales. Yeah, The fairy tales that you go back to, you know, going out into the woods and you get eaten by the wolf. Mm. Well, actually it's probably quite a, powerful fairy tale in those days when if you did go out of the garden you did have quite a good chance of being eaten Mm. by the wolf these days to have that fairy tale in many parts of the world would simply be a restrictive fairy tale. although in africa it's quite common to say better better a wild animal than a human being and perhaps that wolf is still a metaphorical wolf that gets into what does it mean to get real? From a science point of view, the world's not subjectively real until you make an observation. But there's also this idea of getting real and being real in terms of psychology. The opposite of being real is being a psychopath. And we've talked about recognizing of other people. To what extent are you capable of empathizing with other people? Or if you encounter somebody who's not being real, to what extent are they capable of empathizing with you? Their actual communication there or not? So I think that question of being real is something that's important to hold in relation to superstition. What comes to my mind, being real in relation to nature, getting real, getting to terms with a leaf, Mm. a mouse, a fish. But also you, uh, yourself, you know, what, you, what you're consuming, that metabolism of resources in relation to what the biosphere requires. So we have these needs in terms of reality and heuristics and our beliefs. And one thing I was hoping to do before this episode, which I will do before I release the show notes, is research more into the placebo effect 
Um, hmm. Indeed, in regards to a podcast I attached, I think it was last week or the week before, the girl that talked about stress and how to, to handle stress also talks about the incredibly powerful element of the placebo effect that with anything, with any drug, with any activity, with any sort of medical information, there's the activity or the drug or whatever it is in its own right. But then a huge part of everything is what you believe in it. And, you know, any athlete knows the difference yeah. in your mindset between a day that's working and a day that isn't. Yeah. And of course, mindsets uh, is a big part of systems thinking and practice. So how do we get into a good mindset? And yeah. again, that's where superstition holds such promise. I think in particular, William James, who wrote the Varieties of Religious Experience, a series of lectures he gave in Edinburgh. He was basically talking around about 1900 from a more or less modern perspective. How do we think about people having religious experiences. And he was very much tapping into and contributing to the tradition of American pragmatism. And in this right. particular version, ultimately, it's about whatever works for you. It's a version of pluralism. It's saying it's fine. You know, you can yeah. believe in the flower. You can believe in Jesus. You can believe in Buddha or Muhammad or whatever it is. You know, that's mm. fine. Or you can believe in science. It doesn't really matter. You, you probably need something to get you through the night. I think what you're saying there is that the reality of the human condition is we all need mm. and certainly use various superstitions, beliefs, faiths, ideologies, I suppose, fits into there in order to make sense of the world, in order to make sense of our days, in order to decide what to do mm. next. And what we're trying to argue here is, yeah, can, can we all get on board uh, with the notion of God being the biosphere? Yeah. How does that actualize itself in our lived experience? What are the bases for the faith? And an easy way to proceed is to look at what you've been critical of and turn it inside out. So yeah. with regards to cynicism, the other way of, of thinking about cynicism is, is to think about faith in other people, faith in other minds. If psychopathy is a version of solipsism, a version of not believing that other people really exist as, as sentient beings, to step out of that and have faith and hear other people. Um, mm. And particularly in a group, you know, you see some people who are really fearless in being vulnerable among people that helps yeah. establish trust and reliability and, and being able to communicate on a real basis. Yeah. So I think that faith in other people point is a good basis for faith and also faith in other people as elements of the biosphere no absolutely um, um, and indeed your own system actually you know your, your own bodily animal system so my daughter skateboards and you see people looking at something they think they can do then trying it and either failing it or succeeding and mm. a lot of the acquired skill involves mm. a degree of faith in their own system that i would frankly struggle with with myself I definitely yeah. aspire to in terms of uh, improvement. And, you know, that's, mm. that, in a sense, is, is like a higher power. It's like the belief in a higher power in the 12-step uh, system Absolutely. we talked about last week. Absolutely. And a bit back to the doom bar, mm. but us having the faith that we can sort out the biosphere, we can sort out our relationship to it and how we treat it. Mm. And that is entirely possible. And having that faith... And then translating that into the will and the determination the and getting on and doing it, that's the faith that we need. Yes. There's no need to throw our hands up in 
horror and resignation and oh my goodness we just can't do anything so i'll mm. go back to bed or we'll just exactly to... ignore the whole thing i think the, there's that element of yeah. keeping focus on the job at hand as someone who's observed religions over the years who's been subjected to religions over the years who's not been terribly keen on mm. organized religion envied people who've got faith because mm. i don't have faith in an organized religion but as someone with all of that history and background experience now saying actually what we need is faith mm. <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise to me but in the course of these podcasts uh, that's where i've got to mm. well there's two things we need the biosphere to be at the center of our governance systems if we think about our governance systems less as being about what the grown-ups are doing somewhere else and more as about what we're doing in our environment then it becomes obvious that putting the biosphere at the centre of our, you know, my governance system in terms of how I am in my household involves quite a high degree of, of faith and focus because I'm so habituated to all the terrible things that <laughs> the technosphere and the monetary system are doing. As the 12 steps say, my belief in the higher power is about connecting with my body as a natural system and mm. trying to just step by step get closer to a natural state i was thinking that i cut you off earlier on you had a little anecdote to tell about the good place so the good place is where you go to if during the course of your life this is a tv show racked, right the tv show yeah if you racked up enough points in the system that's held by the arbiters as to who goes to the good place and who goes to the bad place, if you racked up enough points, positive points against negative points, to say that you are a good person. And the series evolves and it gets to the point where no one is going to the good place. And is this because the bad place has fixed the system? Because when you go to the bad place, you get tortured and all sorts of horrible things happen to you for eternity when you go to the good place it's you know fluffy and leafy and beautiful and all the rest of it for eternity so they're trying to work out why is no one going to the good place then they worked out well actually it's now impossible to be good in inverted commas why is that well the reason for that is like i go out and buy a tomato that's very good it's a vegetable it's in keeping with the biosphere and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, the tomato is grown in a hothouse. It uses loads of energy. That of itself is bad for climate change and all the rest of it. On top of that, it uses loads of pesticides, depleting resources and potentially poisoning the people that touch them and use them. And on top of that, all of this harvesting is done by people who are the next thing to slaves and on top of that it's using masses of water and we're short of water so although notionally i've done a good thing buying a fresh tomato actually the chain of events that leads up to that tomato means that i've committed so many sins i'm never going to get into the good place <laughs> that's the scale of the challenge right there isn't it <laughs> i think the good thing about that to say is that if anyone starts moralizing and hopefully we don't does not recognize that we're all engaged in a system that is if you like fundamentally bad 
And so there's no point in pointing the finger Mm. at neighbour X or neighbour Y or politician Z or whoever it is. There are, at some points, I hasten to add, points in pointing those fingers. Mm. But as a generality, we are all in this together Mm. and we have to change this. Well, this is the point that Timothy Morton, the philosopher based in, I think, Texas, makes the point that this thing is so huge and so tragic that it's bigger than all of us. It's not your fault that you drove a car or it's not my fault that mm. I got a plane. I mean, it's, I got a plane. I'm sorry. but You're forgiven. Thanks. But the problem is bigger than individual action. It's impractical not to be forgiving to, to ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that is why we need a higher power. Because mm. unless we get this notion of a higher power, we're not going to deal with this massive systemic mm. problem. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, that's uh, that's been a great discussion, Ed. Um, I'm not sure where we're going next week. There are a few possible paths, but maybe we'll keep that as a surprise. And maybe if anyone has good ideas where they would like the next podcast to go or what they would like explored or discussed, then please do email us. Yeah, or you're on Twitter, aren't you? I'm not, but you're, you're... I'm on Twitter. It's a capital E, small d, capital A, capital S, T R A W. Ed A Straw, or at Ed A Straw, yeah. okay. And to email us, it's simply thehiddenpowerpodcast at gmail.com. And I will add some show notes that, of things that I would have liked to have included in the episode but didn't. So do look out for those. And as always, thank you for listening. It's a great privilege to do this podcast. And thank you, Ed, for participating. Brilliant. Great.